Good morning. So I put on the gear. I did the drills. And by this point in my football career, I had a year under my belt on the junior team, and I was ready for the senior team. So they pulled me aside, and they looked to me and said, Trent, we have a spot for you on the junior team. Ugh. He was right, the coach was right, that the skills I had acquired as a grade 10 receiver were not quite enough for me to make it onto the senior team. I was dejected, I had to eat some humble pie, I was sent back down to the junior team as someone in grade 11. It was hard. That's life. Um, we, do any of us need that like fresh start? You know, maybe people see you as the little kid or lacking certain skills or the screw-up or the dropout, the, the former complainer, the addict, whatever the story might be, there's that disappointment when, when they look at you and they don't quite see everything you hoped they would see. Maybe you have a business dream, but they just can't seem to see past the handful of diapers, the running around, the all of the busyness of being a parent and they, you're just locked up in Paw Patrol and you just feel like, will they ever see the real me? Will they ever know that I have a dream, that I have hopes and longings? Discouragement is always knocking at our door. Um, perhaps there's some of you who are rarely discouraged. You know, despite feeling misunderstood or underappreciated or devalued or whatever the situation is, whether it rains or shines, you find yourself steady, happy, content, at peace. You never grumble. You're not a grumbler or a complainer. You're not like a negative Nellie or a Debbie Downer. Nellie and Debbie, we love you. We, if you're with us, we love you. I don't know why those names are the ones that have gone down in history. Well, if you're one of those people, then for this sermon, take a nap, or better yet, you can come up here and you can tell the story of how you have endured during discouragement. So I joined the grade 10s and their tryouts. I did the drills, I ran their plays, and after watching me play, the coach pulls me aside and he says, Trent, what would it look like if you went on to the defensive team? And I thought, I don't know, sure. So I gave it a shot, and it was a fit. It was so much fun, and I ended up having the best year of my life playing football. It was so much fun. I was on the, receiving, or on the defensive back team. I ended up being a captain. I ended up being the unsung hero that year, and it just all snowballed into this like wonderful year where I got to discover more about myself. And it was this man, this team, who saw something else, who noticed me, the coach who caught something, not so much that I would catch, but that I could tackle. 
I was really good at grabbing like the tall people and grabbing like getting around their knees because that's the only option I had. If I went for like from here up, forget it. They would carry me down the field with them. <laughs> but I, I could be like a, you know, get their legs. It was fun. Um, but under their guidance and under their encouragement, I loved being on the defensive team. Um, there's these researchers and authors, um, uh, Kuzis and Posner. Posner. Um, they wrote the book called The Leadership Challenge. And after years of business research, wait for it, this is what they concluded, years of research, it's going to blow your mind, we need encouragement. What? Yeah. Believe it or not, we need encouragement. Um, we work harder, we love better, we serve more, we're happier, kinder, wiser, we have a better immune system when we've been encouraged. Now, you might be thinking, that's obvious, or maybe some of you are thinking, actually, that's not so obvious, because let me ask you this question. How many of you believe you can do your best without encouragement? That you can do your best without encouragement? That you have enough in yourself, enough will, force of will, enough personal initiative and drive. Well, this confession, however, does not quite match their research. So they were wrestling with this because, and you wouldn't be alone if you thought those thoughts, because when they asked the survey, this is what came out, 60% of people reported um, that they needed encouragement to do their best, which means 40% of people that were surveyed said, I don't need encouragement to do my best. They could do their best without it. And when I thought about that stat, and then when they reflected on it, it just did not fit the reality that they were observing. So they asked it in a different way. When you get encouragement, does it help you perform at a higher level? When they asked it in that way, 98% of people said yes. 2% said no. I don't know who those 2% are. <laughs> it's a very different response, right? The way we just, as we think about it, a little bit differently. And it sounds a lot more accurate. And perhaps um, we don't think we need encouragement because we picture Scott Adams' comic strips, Dilbert, when we think of motivation and encouragement. Uh, my motivation is low today. I understand it's your job to fix that situation. Um, an insincere attaboy or a fake interest in my life would be enough. Drop dead and let the flies eat you. I set the bar too high. <laughs> There's another one I wanted to do. I would feel more motivated if I knew how my assignment fits into the big picture. You don't need to be motivated. A monkey could do your assignment while eating a banana like this. <laughs> uh, I think we're moving in the wrong direction. If that's the picture of encouragement, we are better off without it. But this is not the picture of encouragement that I'm talking about. Real encouragement is transformational. Real encouragement lifts us up and lifts us out. It transforms our work life. It transforms our personal relationships, our leadership, our family, our church. Encouragement changes lives, and it changes our own lives when we give it. That's the cool thing. That's the beautiful thing 
about encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Or 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Hebrews 3.13 But encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. Scripture is clear, and it is supported by data. You will never be at your best if you do not receive encouragement. And we, the church, will never be at our best if we do not receive encouragement, if there is no encouragement. But what does encouragement look like? How do we do it? How do we not turn into Dilbert's boss as we're trying to encourage our employees or the people that we work with where we just end up making things worse? Because how many of us have been encouraged poorly in the wrong way? And you're like, it, it would have been better if you just said nothing. Like you did not need to like encourage in that way. So there's a way for us to encourage well. There's a way for us to do it. And even for us, how do we do it in the midst of our lives being discouraged. Like, if you're discouraged right now, how, how do we encourage in the midst of that when our hearts ache for a kind word, an ally, an advocate, someone who sees you, a true encourager? So for the past four weeks, we've been letting the stories in Acts shape and guide us, letting it influence our hearts and our minds. The early church, they experienced it all, the high highs and the low lows. They've been where we are. They felt the tensions of frustration, loss, despair, confusion, uncertainties, all of those things, they felt it. The normal church life was not simple. It was not smooth sailing. It was certainly not without their problems. And yet, and yet, with all of the hurdles, all of the obstacles, all of the infighting and the deaths and the pain, they continued to thrive. They continued to thrive. How did they do it? Let's go, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Acts 9.26. And you can follow along with me. Um, we'll have it up on the PowerPoint on the screen as well. So that's Acts 9, chapter 9, verses 26. When he came to Jerusalem, and this is referring to Saul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Hmm. 
So we have this man. We have Saul, right? We know, most of us know the story of Saul, who was the persecutor of Christians. He was on a mission to destroy the church. He has a profound encounter with the living Jesus. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. He's knocked off of his horse. We saw those big calves on the, on the image last week. He's knocked off of his horse. He has an encounter with the living God and with that, he is now completely transformed and he is now on a mission for Jesus, not a mission against him. But it was such a dramatic conversion, it was such a dramatic change of, of person that nobody believed him. Nobody believed him. He was untested. He wasn't vetted. People weren't quite confident in who he was. Until Barnabas shows up, this unsung hero in the story of Acts. Barnabas shows up a lot in the book of Acts, but he shows up in quiet, unassuming ways. It was this coach. So if it was Paul who was getting the touchdowns, Barnabas was the one calling the plays or setting things up. Because Saul was untested, people were afraid to be with him, afraid to know him, afraid to hang out with him, he goes and he speaks to the community. He speaks to them and gives them the confidence to listen to Saul. So Barnabas, we'll just back the story up really briefly here. What do we know about Barnabas already? So earlier in the book of Acts, in chapter 4, uh, we learn this. It says this, that Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the disciples called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, uh, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the disciples' feet. So what do we know about this man already? We know that he's a Levite, which means that he and his tribe was tasked with taking care of the temple, taking care of the temple works. And so seasonally, at different seasons and different times, the Levites from all over diaspora, all over kind of the area, they would come back to Jerusalem to do their shift. They would go, they would work the temple, they would make sure it's done, taken care of right, and then after that they would go on their way. So it was this rhythm that they had found themselves in. He was one of those men, and very likely he was one of those men that were in Jerusalem when Peter first proclaimed the good news of Jesus on, on Pentecost. It was very likely that Barnabas was one of those early Christians who heard the testimony, heard the story, and said, that's, that's what God is up to. I am seeing God's grace in this event, and I am following Jesus. We know that he was from Cyprus, so that he was someone from away who's now come in. We also know his name. His original name, obviously, was, it says here, was Joseph. But he wasn't called Joseph by the community. He was called son of encouragement, which also could mean son of uh, exhortation uh, or even son of a prophet. So he was a preacher in the truest sense. Um, he urges and encourages believers and unbelievers to accept and live according to the ways of Jesus. So this is a little snapshot of who this man Barnabas was. It also says later on in Scripture that he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a good man and he had faith. So this is a picture of Barnabas. Barnabas was credible and he chose to be an advocate 
for this fanatical young man named Saul. Barnabas willingly put his character on the line and told the story of Saul. He gave Saul the credibility to be embraced by the family. Has anyone taken a chance on you? How does it feel? It feels really good. It changes things. This door was closed for the ministry of Saul, and then Barnabas said, he's okay. Instantly, he had a different ability to move and act in Jerusalem and be up to really, really good things. So this is what Barnabas did. He told the story of Saul. He advocated for him. And so with that, that's one of those kind of first hints of how do we be an encourager? We tell people's story. If, you, if you're in charge of people, if you're a, a business manager or you have people under you, when's the last time that you publicly told the good story of someone, of something that they did in front of other people? Obviously, if that doesn't like embarrass them, right? But tell the story. Advocate for people. That is a powerful form of encouragement. So after Barnabas does this, this is the interesting thing. If we continue on in the story, we see that Saul was a bit of a wild one, right? He was still a rookie. He was on fire for the good news of Jesus, but he was also stirring up all kinds of trouble. He was willing to get into conversations with these Hellenist Jews, and they were like ready to like take him down. Actually, let's just read it. I don't have to tell you all the story. So Saul stayed with them, And he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the the name of the Lord. Um, And then when the believers, uh, then he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Um, And then when the believers learned of this, they took him down uh, to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Um, Tarsus. It's one of the hardest words, Tarsus. Um, So, Did you catch that? It got so bad that the the, the disciples shipped him home. They're like, okay, sure, yeah, you go for it, preach, proclaim. And then it's like getting so bad that they're like, okay, maybe go home. (laughs) I could just picture them being like, you know, this kid's got moxie. See, why am I doing it like that? (laughs) I am not from the 1930s. This kid's got moxie, see, and we've got to ship him out or he's going to be pushing up daisies. Um, Anyways, I had my moment. (laughs) So they send him home. Um, They send him back down to the juniors. And by all accounts, that should be the end of his story. Like in the book of Acts, we have a lot of like these one moment stories, right? Philip does this and it's amazing. And then we don't hear anything of him. Whatever happened to Nathaniel? What happened to like all of these other people? Like moment, moment, moment tells the kind of general story of the church But that's not what happens to Saul. But you would think that in this moment, he had his shot. He was a bit too wild. They send him home. Case closed. Until Barnabas. Let's move on to Acts 11, verse 19. So what we're doing right now, in case you didn't catch, is we're kind of moving through the story of Barnabas and his influence in Saul's life. But we will end here. We're not going to do the second half of their missionary tours That's later on in the year when we preach about that. Um, So, verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only 
um, among Jews, uh, only among Jews. Uh, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, news of this reached the Jerusalem church, which reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. We'll come to back, back to that passage in a minute. He was a man, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So, Barnabas has this exciting new Christian community. Things are happening. Good works are taking place. There's momentum. There's encouragement. There's excitement. And in all of this, it was clear that he was gifted, right? He was a gifted preacher, communicator, teacher, coordinator. It was in good hands. And what does he do? He stops, thinks to himself, you know what? There was that wild preacher kid. I'm you know what, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop my ministry right now, and I'm going to go down, eight-day journey, by, by uh, not by vehicle, <laughs> by land, which would have been very difficult, or a much shorter trip up to Tarsus uh, by boat. He gets in a boat, and he goes, and he looks for Saul. He finds this man who we think is like, you know what, you had your chance, and he brings him back and invites him to speak into this community. He gives him a new assignment, a new opportunity, a new chance. And we see that in this situation, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas flourish, that their work is excellent over that entire year, that they are at work in Antioch, and it is a beautiful thing. Barnabas gives him a second chance gives him that next round, that next opportunity to do something that most people wouldn't have done for him. Most people would have counted Saul off. He'd be like, You're, you had your chance. But Barnabas doesn't do that. And our call is to not do that either. God invites us to be a people of second chances, to invite us to be a people who see in other people so we, we know encouragement is important. And this is one of the ways that, happened, that it happens, is the way that Barnabas does it. He saw Paul. He saw his gifts. He understood the possibilities that were within this guy, and he calls it out, and he draws it out, and he brings him to a place where he can work with his gifts. Work with his gifts that didn't, wouldn't have worked in Jerusalem, but they worked in Antioch. He saw the best in Saul. He had eyes to see a person with their full potential. Now, some of you might be thinking, Trent, I get it. Barnabas was great. Be like Barnabas. You know, notice people. Notice their gifts. Um, be there for people. You know, speak those kind words. But I don't, I can't notice people right now. I am so lock, locked up in my own world. I'm so busy. I'm so discouraged. I'm so frustrated. I can barely see my own kids. I can barely even see like red lights right now. I, I need a person 
to encourage me right now, right? That's what many of us might be thinking. How can I be a Barnabas when I need a Barnabas? And so often we get stuck there wishing for the very thing that we might be called to give. But we do need a person like that in our lives. And Barnabas was not an encourager by his own strength. And neither are we. Our, our capacity as a church to be an encouraging church, we can't do that alone. We've never been able to do that alone on our own strength. Scripture says that this man was filled with the Spirit and that it was the Spirit of God who empowered him to see the best in other people. Barnabas saw with the eyes of Jesus and it always comes back to Jesus. It always comes back to this man who was so much more than a man. Jesus saw people. Two weeks ago, the youth had our friend Allison Springer speaking to them, and she told a, a story about how Jesus, he sat, I'm not gonna, uh, he sat down by, um, by the temple, and he watched people walk by, and he noticed people. He was not a creepy people watcher. He was a good people watcher. And he saw this widow drop in small coins. He noticed her. He noticed her gift. And he saw it as really, really good. And he highlighted, he told her story to the disciples that this is good, that this is approved. He saw Mary and he delivered her from the demonic spirit. He saw Nicodemus and he responded to his questions. This man who came under the cover of dark and he acknowledged the questions that Nicodemus had. He didn't have to see Zacchaeus up in the tree. Zacchaeus was being discreet. He's hiding up there. He didn't have to look up and say, I see you, come down. Let's have lunch together. He, by divine power, saw Nathanael behind the tree, sitting under the tree. He called him out and said, that is a good Israelite. He recognized the woman who touched his cloak and had power drain out of him and have her healed. And he didn't just leave it there. He turned to her and he said, daughter, in front of everyone, he said, daughter. And that instantly changed her status among the community. Or Peter. Peter, whose name wasn't Peter, it was Simon. But when Simon responded with faith, he said, yes, that is faith. That is good. I'm giving you a new name. The name The Rock. Peter, he called out this man's true identity. Or even on the cross, when you can just picture how exhausted Jesus was, how, how if he had any moment to be lost in his own sympathy, in his own frustration, in his own discouragement, in his own abandonment, it would be while he's on the cross suffering in physical pain and yet he still has enough within himself to turn to the man beside him who says remember me he's like I will remember you I am not going to forget you there is a place for you in paradise this is the Jesus that Barnabas knew and it was this Jesus that empowered Barnabas to be a person of encouragement 
Barnabas didn't well it up from within himself. He didn't find it in himself. He found it in the name of Jesus. He found it in the power of Jesus. Being an encourager is exhausting and you're not gonna make it in this life to, to be an encourager if you're not tapping into the power of Jesus. If we're not tapping into the nature and the encouragement of Jesus, we are not gonna have what it takes to continue on. First, Barnabas knew the encouragement of Jesus personally. Second, Barnabas let the Spirit of God give him new eyesight. It said in Acts 11.23 that when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. Barnabas saw what the grace of God had done. This world is teeming with signs and indications of the grace of God at work. The person sitting beside you, the person sitting behind you is teeming with the grace of God. There is grace in your life. Your own life, if you choose to look at it, has grace written all over it. And Barnabas, like many of you, know and have this eternal ally in the person of Jesus, the perfect coach who always calls out the best out of us, calling the best plays. So Barnabas, before anything else, he saw the grace of God at work. He recognized the hand of God. He acknowledged it. He saw the redemption of rebels. He saw the lost being found. He saw salvation for the selfish. And I think for myself and for many of us, the weapon of the enemy is that we forget the grace of God in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. That we lose sight of Jesus' loving action at work in this world. So maybe in the midst of all the Paw Patrol, all the homework, all the drama at school, all the frustrations at work, that we've just temporarily lost sight of the grace of God in and amongst us. We forgot who we are in Christ. We forgot that there is so much here in our lives and amongst us because of who Jesus is. Even right now, my encouragement is to let the Holy Spirit encourage you to see that truth again. To see that truth again. That we who have come to know the grace of God in our lives, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And that at that very moment that we know that Jesus is our ally and that the Holy Spirit is our constant comforter and advocate, reminding us of the truth of who we are in Christ. And it's with that knowledge, that foundation, that we have the capacity to genuinely believe in others to genuinely believe in others, to see that there's power, possibility, transformation that is at work in other people because we've seen it in our own lives and we've seen it amongst our brothers and sisters. Now, if you have not, if you do not yet know the grace of God in your life, you are invited to turn your life over to Jesus to give up control, to surrender, and to put your trust in the good, gracious hands of Jesus. He cares about you. 
And scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And if you want to follow Jesus, but have never taken that step of faith, I encourage you to take that step of faith today. I'm going to invite the worship team uh, to come on up. When you spot God's grace in your life, when you see something happen, like when Barnabas saw the good work that was taking place, he was glad and he rejoiced and then he encouraged out of that place. When you spot God's grace in your life or in someone else's, do not suppress the encouragement that might bubble up. A friend of mine the other day uh, put it this way, never suppress a generous thought. Never suppress a generous thought. It is easy to be free with our criticism. It's really easy to do that. Um, but this Thanksgiving Day, do not suppress the generous thoughts that might come up, the words of encouragement that we can use to build one another up. Do not let that diminish in you. If you have a word of encouragement, do not ignore that. Words and actions of encouragement create a chain reaction in the kingdom of God that we sometimes will never know but are truly beautiful. And when we encourage each other, here's the truth, we get it back tenfold from the Lord. We'll never know the true depth of, and the effect that Barnabas had on Saul and the church. We'll never truly know his full, like, unsung hero components in the community. But what we do know is that Barnabas saw God's grace at work. He rejoiced. He encouraged others to continue on, specifically Saul. He saw God's work at, at work in God's life, or in Saul's life. He gave him second chances. He saw the best, and he advocated for him. Uh, we're going to have communion here in a moment, and I would just encourage that as we partake in communion, that this would be a reminder that Christ died for you, that this is an invitation, that this is an opportunity for us to say yes to Jesus, to put aside and to surrender our own lives and to see his grace available to all. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship or I'm going to invite the communion team to come forward and then we'll prepare for communion and our final song of worship. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. We acknowledge that we need you. We need your encouragement before anything else. And Lord, right now, I just ask that you would whisper a word of encouragement to your people, that they would be reminded that they are chosen in Christ, that they are a masterpiece, that they are called to do good works, that they are royalty. Lord, I am thankful that you are a God who calls, that you are a God who sees the least of these and calls them forward.